very good to see all of you this morning. I'd just like to see a, say a word, if I may, to the praise meisters. Thank you so much for singing this morning. Thank you for asking us the question, are we listening in a heart for the Lord Jesus? Thank you for ministering to us. You know, you spoke the truth to us. You know, sometimes a preacher can stand up and preach for hours and try to say the same thing. It doesn't have the effect that a child has when a child just very simply and sincerely asks that question. So I want to say to the children of the church that when you sing, yes, we love to see our children and our grandchildren and our our loved babies we've seen from the time they were born, we love to hear them and see them, but we look to you to minister to us because you do when you come in right heart and sing like you sang this morning. So I want to say thank you very, very much. Now this morning I'd like us to open up our Bibles together to John, the 8th chapter, which is page 894 in your pew Bible. Now, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. So this would be within a few months of his being crucified. And this must have been an extremely um, significant in the Apostle John's life. It must have had a huge impact on John because he devotes John 7, you know, John 8, and possibly to John 9 and even John 10, not quite so clear, to the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, it's a lot of dialogue. A great deal of Scripture is devoted to this time. And uh, so we want to take our time as we go through it to really consider Jesus' words, and that's what we do now today as we reach John chapter 8, verse 21. And I believe this is the third sermon just in this chapter. But Jesus is speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much uh, to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Well, let's pray together. 
Father, I want to thank you for this portion of your word. And I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to begin with the last verse in our passage of the day. This is what it says, that as Jesus, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And I simply want to raise the question with you today. One point sermons, I think they're the best. Why? Why is that? Why did many believe in him? You know, in verse 28 of our passage, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. But this was before that had happened. And this believing in Jesus wasn't the result of any miracle at that time either. It was a result of Jesus' word, of what Jesus was saying. As the text says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So what was so compelling that many should believe in him what was so compelling and the short answer and the great answer of course is jesus himself jesus was that compelling by his words to these people before the cross he was actually lifting himself up so people could hear and people could see for themselves who he is and many in their conscience felt very drawn to him they believed in jesus as he called them to believe in his words called them to believe that i am he now i don't want to jump ahead Let's not do that. Let's not jump ahead to the end of this chapter. When Jesus says in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am there, Jesus was really cementing his claim to deity. He was echoing the divine name God gave to Moses, the name by which God identified himself to Moses in Exodus 3. But I do not want us to jump ahead. I want us to take to heart what Jesus is saying at this point in our text. It is very, very important. D.A. Carson, the Bible commentator on John, entitles this section of, God, of John's gospel, Radical Confrontation. And it was. It was deeply confrontational. For chapters, there's a great deal of confrontation going on. Jesus is saying all sorts of things that are very confrontational, but I don't know that there's anything he said that was more confrontational than this. When he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Now Jesus could not have drawn the lines more sharply, could he? 
he is distinguishing those to whom he speaks, the Jews and all humanity, really. He's distinguishing them from himself as sharply as the difference between darkness and light, as the difference between death and life, as the difference between hatred and love for God, as the difference between being under judgment and being in the love of God. How sharp a distinction that is. And what's more, he's saying to them, he's saying, I come from a place you know nothing about. The only place you know is here. But I have come to you here from there. Now, of course, the Jews certainly had heard of heaven. They'd read of heaven in Scripture. They talked about heaven. But Jesus' point here is that they had no idea what they were talking about. And from the very beginning of this gospel, John presents Jesus. He introduces Jesus to us. And you see this throughout the rest of the gospel. John presents Jesus to us as the everlasting man. He presents Christ to us as the man from heaven. Think about that with me. This gospel does not begin with Jesus' birth. There is no nativity scene here. John supplies us with no earthly pedigree of Jesus. There's no genealogy in the gospel of John. He does not focus on Jesus' earthly origin. That's so, so secondary. But rather, he presses us to consider Jesus' heavenly origin. He's from there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was at the Father's side. Jesus, in this gospel, never once refers to his being born, but he refers many, many times to his being sent into the world, to his coming into the world. The Father sent me into the world. And this same perspective that is true of Jesus in relation to his origin is also true concerning Jesus' death. Until you come to Jesus' crucifixion in this gospel, the language of his crucifixion is completely absent in the gospel of John. It's not true of the other gospels, the synoptic gospels. But rather, Jesus speaks not of his being crucified, but of his being lifted up, of his being lifted up. And in the same way, his dying, or language of Jesus' death, language of his dying, is sparse in John until you get to the crucifixion. But rather, Jesus speaks about his, not his dying, but his returning to the Father. And I want to say and underscore with you this morning, Jesus is not speaking here euphemistically, you know. He's not. Jesus isn't speaking in a way such as, to, you know, maybe soften uh, reality or avoid reality. You know, we, we speak in euphemisms all the time. I have a little dog named Mr. Tibbs, as you know. I take him out for a walk. Now, you know I do a lot more with him when I take him for a walk than take him for a walk. But I'm speaking euphemistically. Jesus was not speaking euphemistically. Jesus was speaking 
reality. Jesus was speaking the truth as the one man on earth who possessed the truth. Yes, it was the case that men would crucify him because they are from below. But the Father would glorify him, would deliver him, would receive him, would exalt him because Jesus was from above. He was the man from heaven. Jesus Christ is the everlasting man. Just think about this short litany of phrases just from John chapter 8 that really underscores this from throughout the chapter to our present verse. These are the words of Jesus. Even if I do bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I come from and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Or the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I am going away. Where I am going, you cannot come. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. You see this point? This perspective? It's completely heavenward. It's completely heavenward. And in the same way that Jesus declared these things are, the re are real about himself, they are the reality of himself, he denies that they were real or that they were true for his hearers. Again and again. I am from above, you are from below. I am not of this world, you are of this world. Where I go, you cannot come. I am going to the Father, you will die in your sins. What was real of him, for him, what is real, what is true of him, is not real and true of the rest of humanity. This is radical confrontation. This is not a disagreement over ideas. This is a disagreement, fundamentally, a conflict between two world views, two very different understandings of what is real. You know, our senses, our senses are so limited. Our minds really grasp so little. And our time on earth with which to use our senses and grasp with our minds, that time is so brief. And as I was reflecting and thinking about that this week, I got to think, you know, God is such a big tease. He is a huge tease you realize that every single day he is expanding his creation more and more. He is expanding this already unfathomably large universe more and more. Every day ends with this creation, this universe, being farther beyond our reach than when it began. We barely grasp a fraction of it. And for all of our scientific genius, for all of our scientific discoveries and achievements, every single day, the fraction of this universe that we grasp becomes less. 
it becomes a smaller fraction. God is a big tease. He's constantly telling us, don't get full of yourselves. Don't think you know more than you do. You don't begin to know. I have given you senses. I have given you a mind. I have given you gifts. I have given you ability to live, to survive, to grasp. Uh, this earth, to subdue the earth, uh, to learn about my creation. But don't ever think you've learned all of it. In fact, at the end of the day, you know less about it than you did at the beginning of the day because my creation has just expanded. And by the way, I am eternal. Isn't that profound? Isn't that amazing? The big tease. Who are we? to assume as if we could possibly know from our senses or from our mind or from our brief time on this earth, who are we possibly to assume that there is no heaven? Humanities, our best thoughts of heaven today are more primitive. They are cruder than anything that cavemen thought about the stars. We are from below. He is from above. We read this language. I know. I was never a big fan of this star, this, this, this particular TV show or set of movies, so please don't come up and give me a Borg mask or anything like that, but this just so sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? I am an alien. I am from above. You are from below. All science fiction, so much science fiction is sort of like this. But just be reminded that every good story, every good fictional story, is a pale and a distorted version of the great story. That every myth that endures as a myth it's ultimately rooted in some way in the true story. And it is the true story that is before us this morning. We are from below. He is from above. And there's something in the souls of human beings. Perhaps not all. But that resonates with that that wants to say yes. What separates below from above, it's not uh, space or time, as Star Trek would suggest. It's not some impenetrable interface between physical reality and some spiritual reality. Jesus coming into the world shows that we don't know what we've been talking about when we talk that way. But there is a separation. There is a wall. And that wall and that separation is our sin and our rebellion. It's the truth. Jesus came to make a way for us through that barrier. And just as it turns out, we see it at the end of this chapter and onward, just as it turns out that Jesus is the great I am, God in the flesh, it turns out not just that he made a way, but that he is the way. I told you that you would die in your sins 
For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Those are chilling words. And so his, his hearers respond so accurately, unless you believe I am he, who, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus was telling them. And we know what they did not know at the time. We know that Jesus would go on to bring down the wall of separation in his flesh, not because he had become man, but because he would die as man. And this is why Jesus speaks of his dying on the cross as his being lifted up. This was actually the beginning, ironically, the beginning of his glorification. Before he rose, after dying, he was first lifted up in his dying. When men acted to destroy him, at that very point, they acted to destroy him and to make that wall taller, thicker, electrified, razor-wired. At that very time, God tore through it. As we poured out all of our resistance and all of our resentment and all of our fury ultimately toward God on Jesus because we were from below, God made that very occasion. He made this the very occasion that was of our complete rejection of him into the occasion of his complete redemption of us because he is from above. Paul put it this way later. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God made him who knew no sin, he was from above, to become sin, that's why he came below, to bear our sin that we in turn might become the righteousness of God in or through Christ. We become acceptable to God. The separation would be torn down. There would be a hole, huge hole in that wall. Jesus was sent. He came into the world for this. But before he tore open that wall, we see him here. We see him in John chapter 8, tearing through the arguments, the presumptions, the proud opinions raised against him and raised against the knowledge of God. We see how, as Jesus revealed himself to others, he also exposed them to themselves. Isn't that true? I'm from above. You're from below. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. At the same time he revealed himself, he was exposing others. And that's the way it is with light, isn't it? Light exposes darkness. It always does. And Jesus did all this by his word. And to this day, his word continues to reveal and to expose to expose as well as to reveal, so that we not only see the truth about Christ, but that we would feel our need for him, that we would entrust ourselves to him. And when I say entrust ourselves to him, make no mistake about it. I mean entrust our intellect to the heavenly man. Entrust our conscience 
to the heavenly man and trust our will to the everlasting man. The Bible says, the Bible says that in Jesus, all God's treasures of wisdom and knowledge dwell. So to trust him is to trust our minds, our hearts, our souls, our physical being, our wills, our consciences, all that we know and believe, to entrust it to him, to entrust it to him, because Jesus Christ is no small Savior. And I would say to you today, in all honesty, that you have not truly believed in Christ unless you have taken his worldview as your own, until you have left behind what was from below in order to embrace what is from above. He is no small Savior. You want wisdom, you want knowledge, you want truth, it is in Him. Don't try to put Him in a corner and leave the, re the rest of your heart and life, give the rest of your heart and life to the world. There's nothing this world offers you. There's nothing this world offers you that is everlasting and absolute. And the truth and the wisdom that is in Jesus, the truth and the wisdom that is Jesus Christ, is everlasting because it's absolutely true. It is absolutely true, and he is absolutely true because he is everlasting. The call to believe in Christ is as potent and it is as fresh this moment as when Jesus walked the earth and was speaking during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And I began this message by raising that question, why did many people believe in him? But in close, I'd raise this question, why not believe in him? Why not? How can we not believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God? He's no small savior. He knows the big picture. He fills the big picture. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the revelation of our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that he did not come to save you know, a part of us. He did not come simply to deliver us from your judgment. He came to deliver us from evil, from the evil one, from the strongholds and the presumptions that the evil one sows into our very minds and hearts and lives so that we become his, totally and completely his, and thereby yours. We're to become his and yours again, perhaps I should say, because you created us. He brings us back to first principles, the foundational truth, the absolute truth, the eternal truth. And I pray you help every one of us 
give our hearts fully and completely, dear Jesus, to you. Amen.